Welcome to another episode of Of Course China, the podcast where China expats Ziv and Fernando bring forth the stories and know-how of people making their mark in the Middle Kingdom. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and leave us a review. We appreciate your support and thank you for listening. Today we're here with Hunter Bliss. Yes, hello he, cameras. He came here from Shenzhen this morning and uh, he's from South Carolina, studied in Germany for a few years and then made his way to China for his adventures. Very interesting, 25 years old and already leading his own uh, adventures and enterprises here in Shenzhen. So we're going to be talking about stump paper, uh, sandpaper, stump paper, stump paper, paper, sorry. We're going to also talk about, well, stock photography, something that he's done in the past and gives him some good money. Mm -hmm. And, well, his whole adventure about coming to China. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back in a second. Hunter, cool. how are you today? Thank you for coming, man. Right. It's, a, right. it's a journey. The weather is nice. It's a little bit of a journey, but it's okay. I, actually, I walked from the subway here, which is like okay. 1.5 kilometers. Oh, okay. I, I loved it. That's, that's the cardio minutes. for the day. Right. And you came from Shenzhen. Yep. You took the train. Yeah. Yep. I took the, yeah, the bullet train and then the subway. <laughs> took you about an hour and a half? Yeah. The whole thing, right. And not very expensive. Very interesting how interconnected uh, Guangdong is. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think the, I think the number two line is uh, Dongguan's first. Is that first? Yes. their first subway? That's yeah, the only they're working on the second one. For yeah. four or five years already, nice. they're making the second one, which yeah. will be now line one. Yeah. And people, and people watching probably don't know, I've only been here for almost three years. I'm in my third year. Right. And you guys probably know Dongguan. Oh, yes. Before there was anything. <laughs> have, you, have, you been, have you been to Dongguan before? Uh, I used to come to Humen actually all the time. To Humen? Yeah, to Humen, but not inside of Dongguan, the city. Okay, so um, I find it very interesting, the expats' journey into China and why they came here, how they ended up doing what they're doing now. So let's start with that, right? You said you are only 25. Yeah. And um, you are from South Carolina. Mm -hmm. um, how, how did the journey that ended up here started? Uh, so like like cliff notes, like a summary of how yeah. that all happened. No, I mean just just you know, I mean you studied in in Germany, right? Yeah. So I right out of high school you went to Germany. Right out of high school I went to Germany. How how is that like? Why? Uh, tuition. <laughs> uh, the main thing, uh, the the main thing was uh, I had some European friends that I played video games with, and when I graduated high school, you know, I was talking to them about my choices, and they you know sort of jokingly said, you know, there's no tuition in Germany, so I you know I didn't believe it, but I thought you know I could apply. Uh, so I applied to the school, uh, and I got accepted, and I started, you, you know, building building my dream of what I would want in Germany if I go study there. Wait a minute! There is no yeah. tuition in Germany. No, it's like not for anyone. Anywhere in Germany? <laughs> like technically speaking, you have to pay a uh, hundred euros per semester for administrative costs, and then like a hundred euros if you get a subway ticket for the semester as a student. What's the catch? How about visa to stay there? How about language? Is the process or, difficult? I mean, Depending on what country you come from. Uh, if you come from America, you come from uh, a country on a list called the privileged countries. Uh, so you, you have to, you put, you, put, you put less money into a bank account to get a visa. But if you come from somewhere like Africa or China, then you have to put in more money into a bank account. So how much money are we visa. talking about? I'm, I'm not actually sure. And the bank account I, needs me, to have. 
For me, I think it was like three thousand oh, dollars. okay. Get so it's out not, of you, town. Have to, you have to prove that you have that in a bank account. Because we, we, also, we also, <laughs> we also took to um, Rachel. Remember, one of our first yes. uh, guests yeah. uh, in the show, and she was also hoping to go to Germany, but she couldn't go. I, I don't remember why she couldn't go. Um, I don't know. She want to go to study? Ah, because she studied in a Chinese high school. She graduated oh, from a Chinese the, high school the, the and they couldn't. What she had, yeah, she know. didn't homologate what she yes. had done here in China. So, so what about uh, language? Uh, do they study in English or? My first, my first studies were in English because uh, I wanted to learn German. Um, so I joined a, an international program for electrical engineering, um, and in that program, the first year is in English, and then everything else is in German. But I wanted to learn German because I wanted to study physics in Munich at a, a, at a really nice university there. Uh, so I learned German in the first year, and then I started in German after that. At that point, uh, you are uh, you finished high school in South Carolina. Yeah. You've have you ever been outside of the U.S.? Uh, at that point, no, I had never been outside of the U.S. I had never had even been outside of you know Georgia and Florida. Wow. Okay. Before. So it and, was. Uh, and you didn't have any clue that you would end up in China one day. No, I'm sure. No. No. Right. No. If you. You know, uh, yeah, if you told me when I was in Germany that I might go to China, I might say, oh, that's cool. But if you told me before I went to Germany that I'd be in China someday, I would have been like, why? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, what in the world? So you went in, okay, so you went to Germany, you studied, uh, you started studying, uh, what, did, what was it? You went to for physics? physics. Yeah. Okay, yeah, and how, how was, how was, how was getting, uh, you know, accommodated there in Germany as an American different, guy? Different, uh, different culture. Is, yes. Was it hard? That's okay. I mean, we're sitting, we're sitting in China right now, so mm. you know, you guys and probably everyone watching knows what it's like to be a foreigner in China. Uh, to be, to be a Western foreigner in Germany, uh, it's okay. It's okay. The, the what is the, the what's are the stereotype similar. that Germans have uh, about Americans? Do they have uh, one? They do. They they have different ones. You know, I, I guess there are good and bad ones. Um, we'll start with the bad ones, and then we'll go to the good ones. Because <laughs> I do believe in the good of people. Um, uh, Americans tend to maybe not. They're they're loud, a little rude, mm -hmm. um, and they're not very respectful when they're in other countries of, of other people's cultures. Um, but Germans also do see Americans as having really big dreams. Uh -huh. They're really ambitious. Um, I, I think a lot of Germans they. In Germany, I think there's a little more pressure to be part of, you know, the, the community, the community, the sort of system that they have, mm -hmm. and people don't really have the sort of, you know, if you want to call it blind confidence to just go for broke and, and do something crazy, um, and Americans can do that, and I think Germans recognize that. Would you recommend people to go to study in Germany? I mean, I'm, there's so many American people that are under this debt. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I especially recommend it for Germans. Mm -hmm. um, Uh, for, for Americans. <laughs> you told me, me something when we spoke before. You say that uh, uh, Americans don't think, you know, why maybe not a lot of Americans go there? Because no, so I, when, you, when you go to Germany, and Germany is a really, really international country, I would say it, it's, yes. it's almost more international than America, even though America is a really diverse place. Um, not enough Americans go abroad to study seriously. Uh, I think a lot of Americans they do exchange semesters. You know, they'll they'll kind of get a, a little party. a little taste, uh, yeah. a little taste of that country, but they don't really get involved in that country's culture. Um, and definitely, you know, when when I was sitting there, I maybe got to know two or three Americans. Uh, but you know, there are tons of people from the Middle East, Indians, Chinese people. So I mean, yeah, when I traveled in India for a year, mm -hmm. for a year in India backpacking, I saw a lot of Germans, a lot of Italians, and South Americans. <laughs> <laughs> But maybe I met one American, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like a USA, you yeah. know? So why is that? It's I, 
it might be because it's a little expensive to go from the U.S. to those countries because it's so it's so far because the U.S. is so isolated. Mm. Um, other than that, it, it could just be you know uh, Americans uh, may generally not be as aware of what's happening in the international community as people who are geographically connected together and they have to know about each other. You know, America America kind of exists in its own world. I think it's a bit uh, they're a bit duped about, oh, America is great. I don't need to go anywhere else, Yeah, right? Maybe People want to come here. Yeah. <laughs> and America is great in many ways, uh, is, I think. But sure. um, yeah, it's interesting. So mm. so then what happened in Germany? How how did you continue the, this how journey? How was that the degree for? Was it four years? Uh, so the, the actual, the degree that I got was three and a half years. Uh, but I studied for a year in, in Mannheim. Uh, and that, you know, that was just a practice for German. And then I studied for three semesters in Munich. Um, so in total, you know, I don't even know how many semesters that was. You know, a little more than four years, maybe five years okay. for a bachelor. Did you go back home uh, over I did, yeah, summer? Year, most of the times. Okay. Uh, yeah. Did you have a German girlfriend? Uh, I did. You yes, did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I had, I had, I had yes. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to get into that uh, rabbit hole. Yeah, but, okay. but no. So you didn't have to study German. You said. But you want it. You actually don't know. Now in, in Germany, it's changing kind of fast. A lot of universities, are, most of the master's programs at universities are offered in English. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, Americans or anyone can go there and start studying in English right away. And you don't need your German language certificate. Um, but it's increasing, it's sort of an increasing trend in Germany, these bachelor programs that are in English. So even Germans, when they start studying at university, they study in English. Um, so it's worth looking into. Right. All right. And let's just trying to push further a bit to the China thing. So at what point? How did you end up coming to China yeah, from did, Germany? At what point there yeah. did you think, okay, I might go to China? Because you said before you actually went on to study Chinese there. Yeah. yeah. So uh, after, you know, I, I, I sort of fell out of love with physics and I started working a job at a company <laughs> uh, called Park Pocket. Uh, that was probably one of the best jobs I've ever done in my life. It, there was a lot of traveling and a lot of photography. And my boss said that if I like photography so much, I should study photography at the Hochschule der Medien in Stuttgart. Um, in English, it's called the, the Stuttgart Media University, I think. And, um, and when I went there, I discovered that they had print and Chinese as a double major. And I thought, you know, wow, I, I, I've, learned, I've learned German for this long and I've had such a crazy experience in Germany. I'm sure the experience would be even more unforgettable if I learned Chinese and I went to China because I know even less about that. So I just kind of, I just, I just did that. I just, I started. How, so you how went do for photography, but you didn't take Yeah, I, I, I went for photography, um, but when I got there, I saw you the You got thing. distracted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got distracted, yeah. How do you, how, how do people teach uh, Chinese abroad? Because uh, I've only learned it here. At the, at the HDM? Uh -huh. um, at the HDM, they have Chinese teachers. Uh -huh. uh, they have, um, I think they're all from Shanghai. Okay. Uh, they had three Chinese teachers. Um, we had really intensive Chinese courses. Um, and it was basically split half and half between printing technology and Chinese. And we basically learned it that way. And then HDM, is, it's a big thing, right? It's a small school. It's pretty small. It's small? Um, I mean, it's, 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 if you're living in Germany, you probably have heard of like the Uni Stuttgart, which is like the University of Stuttgart. But that's right next to the HDM, uh, which is a big, the, the Uni Stuttgart is a big university. It's a real, you know, university as you would imagine one. The school that I went to is what an American would consider like a technical college or like a community college. Mm -hmm. um, but it was specifically for media and print. Uh, and, and the Chinese thing was a part of the faculties that they had. 
Okay. So did you start to think, okay, I'm going to learn Chinese because I want to go to China or just interesting Chinese? Uh, I just thought it would... Originally, I just thought it would be interesting. I, I didn't really know what I thought. I just thought that China seems like a really interesting place, and I've, I've traveled a lot. At, at that point, I had been in Germany for three years, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, this seems really interesting, so you know, why not give it a try? And then, uh, and I like languages, mm-hmm. um, so I just thought you know, I'd start, and that's how I did it. What other languages really, do you I speak? Ha- I didn't have any like crazy deep purpose for why I did it. <laughs> what other languages do you speak? Just English, German, and Chinese. Okay. How many? I speak, I speak German and Chinese really well. Okay. So I, I assume that uh, your family just speak English back home. They do. Yeah, yeah. Right. My mom, my mom is trying to learn German. Ah, she is. Yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. She, you inspire Chinese, her. I, I have not. I do not recommend my mom learns Chinese. It's too hard for her right now. Right. But German's good to get her. Feet so those, those people studying Chinese with you in Stuttgart, um, are they they were Germans? Mm. Germans, right? Yeah, they're so all Germans. People actually stick with it, uh, or you know what I mean. Chinese is a difficult language, right? Yeah, there were different there were different levels, um, and uh, I do I, I don't want to study cut. Chinese from German or from I English. Did, yeah, we, we studied it in German. Yeah. So, oh, okay. Yeah. From your second so to I, the I learned I learned English in French. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, now, I mean, I, I don't I don't want to come across like I'm uh, like I'm not modest. Uh, but I think I think my Chinese level early on was uh, higher than most of the other people because I had been learning German at all times. So my brain was just fresh for a new language. Uh, so uh, you know, I learned Chinese pretty quickly. And there were differing levels. I mean, some people just uh, some people didn't really like speaking Chinese, so they just didn't speak it that much. And then some people really liked it, and we worked hard. And it, it was mm. you know, there were a bunch of different people. All right, a bunch of different levels. When did you pack your bags and come to China? That was. <laughs> But when, uh, what was the thought process behind? Oh, well, what is the first moment you thought I'm going to China? Uh, and how long it took you to go after you thought that? When I first, when I told my mom that I want to study Chinese, I guess that was the first moment. My mom was just like, what in the hell are you doing? Yeah, I mean, you've been in Germany for this long. What are you doing speaking Chinese now? Um, the first, like, moment? I mean, I don't know. I don't really know if there was a moment. You know, I just... Uh, I just studied Chinese because I liked it, and then I just remember packing my bags because, you know, I got plane tickets, and uh, there, we had to do an exchange year in China, in Xi'an, and I just got prepared for that, and I I just saw it in the same way that I saw it when I went to Germany. I just thought, okay, the, the whole environment's about to change again, everything <laughs> is about to change, just get ready for that, and it'll be okay. What kind of um, preconceived notions did you have about China before you came here? That turned out to be just different uh, I, I think maybe ideas that most Americans might have that the Chinese people are really poor uh-huh. um, you know poverty uh, is you know the main the main thing in China human rights issues censorship uh, whether or not they have freedom here it's um, not a positive view uh, it, for the most part it's not a positive view um, I would say that was probably about right and honestly you know that was that was even after learning a lot of Chinese. That was still a lot of my view uh-huh. um, before I came to China. Did you, did you know any Chinese people there in Germany? We we, had, the we had exchange students. The come. teachers. Uh, so we had the teachers, but the teachers have been living in Germany for you know decades. Yeah. Or um, what would German we, German people think the same? Excuse me. It depends. It really depends. Uh. I, I think Germans. Sometimes, sometimes I think German people can be more proud about their nationality than right. Americans. Um, I mean, you look at like the, it just, 
if a German's watching, like I know, like if, even if you look at like the growth of like AfD, it's you can see it in, in <laughs> Germany. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying, I'm trying not to speak uh, as if I'm an outsider looking at Germany. I just I can see it from the inside too. Um, I, I think Germans also sort of think, you know, made in China. If something's made in China, it's bad quality. Right. It's right. just sort of that because they have the pride yeah, of but, making but, things really well. Yeah, they, they do. Yeah, they yes. have a history of innovation. Right. Um, and you know they, uh, but but I think in Germans' minds, uh, because they're much closer to socialism, um, the whole communism thing is less of an issue in China. Mm -hmm. Censorship, maybe, but maybe not. You know, not as much as Americans. At, at what point, this notion, this this thinking you have about China, even you, you, you admitted that you still had that, even while learning Chinese, I right? Did, yeah. Yeah. From, you know, growing up and all this, what you've been hearing. Mm. At what point this starting to change? Uh, From landing? <laughs> I mean, my, my, pers my perspective, I didn't do like a 180, like, whoa, China is some sort of uh, utopia or anything like right, that. Right, right. I just, I, I had, a, I, I earned a deeper understanding of what China is. And I think, you know, living living where I live in Shenzhen, um, I mean, you guys are out here in Dongguan. Dongguan is tier two. Two tier two. Tier, uh, tier one, some We became tier one a year ago. It's tier two, really. Yeah, tier two. Yes. Um, when, when you're living in Shenzhen, you're living in Guangzhou, Beijing, Shanghai, these places. Um, I mean, holy shit. It, it, it's from, from just those places, it's clear that China is not solely a third world country like people label it like people think um, yeah. but then of course I mean really you know you go uh, you go out into places like uh, Liaobu for example mm -hmm. where they do a lot of packaging print and you still see you still see Buckets. communities that are coming out of poverty mm. it, it, so it's not it's not like it's not like it's all one color um, but what you do what you do see about China everywhere you go is that the direction is positive uh, I can say that I can say that confidently um, it, so there's there's sort of a. And also, it's not the same kind of poverty too. I think you you've. I made a video about, about that. Yeah, right. it's not, it's not the poor people are, are not the same as poor back home. It, no, no, it's it's not it's not like people are hungry, uh, and it's not like people are unsafe. Homeless. Anything, no, 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 it's, it's it's not like that. It's more of just like, uh, just the, I guess the quality of things around you, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I guess the, the best example of like in in Liaobu, when you go to like a. Even large companies, you know, you go to the bathroom, for example, yeah. and there's no toilet paper. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that for sure. me, I think, uh, you know, that's sort of like a, a basic thing. Ten more country. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like you, you kind of think it's that like way. science. I can't, I can't, you know, it's it, hard to explain China. I yeah, think, you know, really I didn't expect you to say there was a moment. I think for all of us, it's like it's a process, yeah. right? Well, for me, when I got off the plane and and I started seeing, well, I had this whole communist idea, and I get off the plane, get on the taxi, and I start seeing BMWs and Audis, and and like, whatever happened to communism? I mean, yeah. that that was right. the first shock right. yeah. when I said like, this is different. So keep an eye open because it's yeah. not going to be what you thought. I, I think for Americans, it's. Uh, it's a little different than people that maybe like you from Colombia or me from Israel, um, especially yeah. Americans that grew up in the 90s, 80s, where it was really good. America mm. was really great, right? right. Mm. So seeing a, just seeing a place that doesn't have toilet okay. paper okay. is like... What the it heck? Really, it really is, yeah. I mean, for me, I really, I, I, I honestly, I can't imagine going to a bathroom in America and they're not being a, like a model, like a, <laughs> like a, a nice toilet, thick one. Yeah, a nice thick toilet, or like a, like a, a Western toilet. Um, 
And that's just like that's. I think that's one of like the basic measurements of how I like of how I personally. For me, was does this town have McDonald's or not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, it's a product of you but, know where you grew up. A yeah. good a good example of like a moment, a, a moment of realization, uh, and also would like to say as well that you know the, I still think the standards of living in America, even with what the news is the way it is, are amazing. I, I always you know love going back and seeing my family. But for a moment of realization was the first time that my mom came to China. Um, my mom, when I came to China, my mom had maybe, you know, two months total of travel experience throughout Europe. And we saw a bunch of different countries in Europe. When she, when she came to China, I picked her up in Guangzhou. Uh, and we stayed at a hotel, like right next, to the, uh, right next to the river there in the city. And as we were coming in the taxi on the river, my mom was just looking at all these skyscrapers and she was just like, I, I didn't know China was like this. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, right. It really, uh, yeah. It definitely, it definitely um, doesn't mask with what we're with what we're told. I guess. Yeah, I think I think it's uh, yeah, it's really realization. Yeah. Right. Did how how long did she stay at that visit? That was two weeks. Three two weeks. weeks. Well, uh, and yeah. she enjoyed. So yeah, we we went to uh, we were in Guangzhou. We stayed in Guangzhou. Uh, and then we went to Guilin and then Yangshuo to see like the the nice right. landscapes and stuff. Um, Yeah, it was it was really nice, and she yeah she loves China. Okay, so so basically you 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 studied printing and Chinese in Stuttgart, and then uh, then uh, when did you come here? Like you said something about the exchange. The yeah, so it was a it was an exchange program between uh, the in Germany they call it Teo Xi'an. Uh, it's like the Xi'an University of Applied Science. This is from the which major? From Chinese? Uh, print. From the print so, so, actually. Uh, Xi'an, uh, uh, the Chinese name is uh, Xi'an Li Gong Da Xue. Um, and they have a, they have a whole uh, faculty de dedicated to packaging and print. Okay. Um, so they have a partnership with the German Printing University. Um, and basically, you know, we go there uh, to learn sort of about the, the Chinese culture and also see the Chinese printing world. Because uh, the the printing market here is huge. Yeah. Um, so that's that's what we did. We we spent a year in Xi'an. A year. Yeah, yeah. And studying. Yeah, studying at the Xi'an University. And it's not necessarily uh, not necessarily because you studied Chinese in Germany. No, no. So no. I mean, we we still continue our Chinese lessons there, but we're in China. So. Okay. How was that? That's like a, a, a still a student going for an exchange experience. How was it? Yeah. Uh, man, that was. Uh, Xi'an is a nice city, right? ดิสเนย์ดิสเนย์ดิสเนย์ดิสเนย์ดิสเนย์ดิสเนย์ดิสเนย์ดิสเนย์ดิสเนย์ดิสเนย์ดิสเนย์ดิสเนย์ดิส
unless the person coming to China really has a character of gold, which is which I have discovered, it doesn't matter if it's China or America or Germany is not common. That people are just really pure in character.、Uh, I, you know, when I came here, the, the first thing just. I didn't realize it, but I saw myself as more important than Chinese people.、Mm. I think this is really common among foreigners,、uh, and, you, and you still see that. You know, you still kind of see that today when you when you hang out with some foreign, it's, it's foreigner. Expat, privilege, it's, it's what we call privilege. To, yeah, privilege、uh, yeah. Be influenced to think this way. Yeah. yeah. Right. And、uh, and at the time, you know, we were basically German university students, so、uh, as well as studying, that、uh, we were partying really hard. And <laughs> university students in China, it's not. The same culture at all,、uh, and、no. I, I even I had I, I bought a I bought a thousand dollar phone with my mom's money, and it got stolen one night、uh, because I I guess I got I guess I got drugged at a Chinese club. Wow,、um, that、oh, was probably、okay. one of the worst things that I have ever done.、Um, and there are just you know stuff like that. And then、uh, you know I, when I started my internship,、uh, it was in a small room. I was given a small room with. The, with a colleague of my boss,、uh, and instead of seeing that for the privilege that it was and appreciating that,、uh, I told her that it was too loud, and I started, you know, decorating all the walls with all of this like、uh, sound dampening foam, and I just I ruined her walls. I completely ruined them, and I didn't even, you know, I didn't even think about it. Basically,、yeah. you were like behaving spoiled. I was, yeah, and I, I, yeah, I, I was.、Uh, you、um, you you mentioned something that、um, I've always thought about. Uh, when we think about privilege and, and foreigner privilege, is that sometimes Chinese people treat us in a way that leads us to feel、It、that、is. way. I、yeah. mean, if I were to move to America, I would never be treated the way that Chinese people treat me. So, no matter where you come from, you get to China and they treat you so nicely and with so much deference and with so much respect. And you're like, like. They they、I'm、put that、something. into you exactly <laughs> yeah, to a, to a certain extent, mix, right? Like、mm-hmm. yeah, you're basically but, saying they're very welcoming. Yeah, yeah but that's, and that gives the wrong signals, that's, <laughs> perhaps. That's, that's why I'm saying that unless someone really has a golden character、mm-hmm. um, and is and is modest in their core, and they don't have an issue with.、Uh, Differentiating between white people and Asian people,、mm-hmm. um, then yeah, that then that's a good match for China. But I think most people when they come here, they they encounter these very welcoming Chinese people, and it it evolves like I that. I think it's a there is some small clashes of、uh, of cultures. You know, they are welcoming, but they also have face culture, and、mm-hmm. when you don't give them that face back, because maybe in your culture is more blunt. It's okay to,、yeah. you know,、yeah. and then there is like this clash. Yeah, this clash, right? I just feel like <laughs> I, I feel like even today, after two and a half years of being in China,、um, there's still there's still sometimes where I just I don't know what the right thing to do is. But the the main thought that I have, or like the guiding principle, is just that I should treat everyone with respect, and they'll treat me with respect. Um, and I, I can speak Chinese as well, and I, I speak it well, and I try to just,、uh, you know, naturally, just talk to them,、uh, and just try. I just try my hardest not to judge the situation that I'm in at any given moment.、Mm-hmm. I think it's just also that you are. Uh, maturing, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I in general,、so、it's yeah, just yeah. happening in China. <laughs> it's not, yeah, this is happening in China. Yeah,、um, but yeah, I, I agree. All right, so、uh, came to Xi'an 
for a year of exchange, right? Mm -hmm. Finishing your, it was the last year of university? Uh, yeah, that was last year. Right, yeah. printing. And I guess... Did you I go guess back Chinese? to Germany or did you stay I did, here? Yeah, I went back for one more semester. Okay. Um, I, I went back for another semester, which was you know, six months. I uh, did my final exams there. Uh, and then I came back here. And then I started working at Shenzhen to write my thesis. So you went back there and then how did you come back here? Uh, I, I came back to a company called R. Donnelly. So you found a job? I found a job at a Chinese company. From, chi from Germany? While I was in Seattle. Where they ah, helped well, you? Oh, you found okay. a job? You, yeah. Ah, you yeah. mean so, but you, they I, waited for you? Uh, yeah, so like at, at the time, we were actually sitting in a Chinese lesson, and I had, I had developed a passion for print while I was studying print, and uh, R. Donnelly is just, you know, the biggest company in the world, and um, I, have, I have a pattern of, of wanting to do great things, so I want to just like be part of the biggest thing. So I saw an event at the Xi'an University. I saw a sign for R.R. Donnelly, and I was like, whoa, like R.R. Donnelly is here in Xi'an. So I just, I just walked in, and I was just like, are well, you R.R. Donnelly? And they were like, why is a foreigner here? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I study print. Can I get a job with you guys? And they were just like, you want to work with R.R. Donnelly in China? And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And they were just like, Go to Shenzhen immediately. You have to meet the director of the Shenzhen branch. Ah. Um, so we so you went. Was, so I went and I you went to Shenzhen yeah. while yeah. in the one-year exchange. Yeah, I took a flight to Shenzhen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And opportunities, man. This is a land of opportunities. But he created it. He, oh, sure, he looked, He opened his eyes and ears, and yeah. he went and, and did it. So, yeah, really uh, just um, that. so that was. Yeah, but then he went back to. Germany after you yeah, had a job. Exams. I saw exams, right? All right, so we will well, talk more about that. We're going to take a very short break. All right, guys, and we are back. Well, um, we were talking about your experience here in China, in Xi'an as a student, mm -hmm. and then you went back to Germany. Can you tell us a little bit about that part of your, your journey? So basically, I still had to much over exams before I could graduate. Uh, specifically post-press. Like, also happened after that, all after the print. And I just, you know, studied, uh, I think it was that and another one, digital printing, I had two exams. Um, and then I finished that, and I just came back to China. All right. So um, we, we had negotiated before I went to, back to Germany that I would come back and get a job. Uh, I'm interested to know that, well, you mentioned that there was no tuition mm -hmm. uh, while you were in Germany, but that doesn't mean it's a scholarship or anything like that. You, no, you had no, to support really yourself. Uh, yeah, you have to support yourself. Yeah. Uh, how did you go about that? Uh, so, stock photography, uh, like we were talking about uh, before this. Um, you know, of course, my mom, most of my mom from the beginning. Um, but as I lived in Germany uh, for about three years, I did stock photography really seriously. What is stock and photography? I think some people don't even know what you're yeah. talking about. So it's basically high quality imagery for which you buy licenses so that you can use it in stuff like magazines. So you take photos and people buy them, basically. Yeah. But yeah. true licenses for them. Sure. So like uh, magazine, newspapers, media, websites, different uh, yeah. companies, they need photos to go along with their content. Yeah, I had, I had and they go into stuff. these websites. Yeah, well, there was even they... uh, CNN. Uh, CNN did a, they do a segment called Face the Nation. Mm -hmm. um, and they use one of my images as their background. How did you really? know? It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Because I saw it. 
high. You I just was watching it. Mine. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was watching because I, you know, I watched. Of course, I watched the American news every day. And here. you got like twenty and cents for that? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, it, it depends. I mean, if, if it's CNN, they're definitely going to pay a lot of money because it's shutter stock. So they may have paid two hundred dollars maybe for that license for um, one photo. For one photo, yeah. So you, as a stock photography uh, photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, How do you, you take photos and you upload to different platforms, right? Yeah, I think I have seven different platforms that I still uh, kind of use. Right. Uh, Shutterstock's the main one. It's a big one, one right? Yeah, Shutterstock so is a good one. I yeah, I, I haven't done I haven't done really serious stock photography in quite a while. So. How does it work? I mean, I you know I run a magazine for 15 years. Yeah. I am subscribed to some stock photography websites. Mm-hmm. I used to with Shutterstock. Mm-hmm. It's expensive though. Shutterstock. It is, yeah, yeah, but that's it's the best good one. though. That's it's the best good. One. Yeah, you can find anything, and they also have stock uh, footage mm-hmm. and many things. Shutterstock you know? office is in the Empire State Building. Oh, that's awesome. Aren't they, they are part of Getty Images now, no? I'm not sure. I think. I'm not sure. But anyway, so how so how does it work? Like, how do you know? You probably want to take photos that you after you put, a lot of people would want to download. How do you yeah. choose what to what to shoot? Yes, I mean originally, uh, it, you know, it was born out of that photography thing that I did for that company. Mm-hmm. Um, I, basically, I, I, when I started, my job was to travel to different German cities and photograph their parking garages. I would okay. photograph like the entrance, and I would photograph the spaces and the signs and the and the rates and stuff like that. And it was just like detailed, weird images of parking garages. But of course, <laughs> like you know, while I was walking around these cities, I was doing photography of everything. Ooh, so here's your beer. Oh, sweet. This is Martin. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we should mention right. where we We're are, right? Right. We're sitting at Martin's. Uh, uh, Thank you. Very prominent German restaurant in Dongguan. This is their new location. Uh, really nice. At the beer garden right yeah, now. I'm about to have the. I'm about to have Spätzle. Yes. <laughs> That's crazy. Like, I don't know if Germans watch this, but I'm eating Spätzle in China. <laughs> It's crazy. So, um, so you stock photography. Um, so you started you, shooting, but what was your your main subject? I mean, just city views or. Uh, in, the, in the beginning, it was just uh, architecture. I really liked architecture. My favorite picture that I did in Germany is probably the um, the Dresden Frauenkirche, which is like the the big cathedral in uh, Dresden. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just did pictures like that, where it was just just beautiful stuff. So it wasn't stock in the beginning. Um, it was just stuff that I liked the most. And then I realized that you know I can maybe sell some images on Shutterstock. Um, but when it when it comes to stock photography, it really is about volume. Right, that's really, what I wanted to say. I mean, is quantity. You, yeah, I mean, like when when I'm shooting stock, I can shoot stock of anything, as long as it's a high quality image that just has a good composition. Right. Um, I mean, like even this, you know, this mic stand. I could take like a nice shot of the, a nice shot of this screw. And someone may need or like your mouth next to the mic, and like that's just usable. So, so you don't get any money until someone downloads it. Nope, and, and it's very slow to build. It's very slow to build. Right. My first sale was five cents. But is there kind of like, like on YouTube, for example, there's an algorithm, right? Cheers, that, that's kind of like cheers, yeah, something that that uh, pushes your content to certain viewers. I'm sure there's a lot of competition on Shutterstock, right? So I, I actually I don't know if there's an algorithm. I think it just what people, what people search dictates, or like mm-hmm. what's what's happening in the world dictates what people search search, and then they find those images. If you take this microphone, for example, you don't want to have the logo there, right? Yeah, I have to Photoshop that out. I see it right there. It's the right. Mic, yeah. So that's not okay. Which is funny. I have like, I, I've after doing stock photography for so long, I've developed sort of like a stock photography right. sense. I right. and like and, and just and just like looking at you, I I see the road logo on that microphone. If you take this picture, But not just, just the logo is the problem. Me is also the problem. You would need I, me I would to need sign a waiver. Yeah, yeah. Right? Unless unless I had like your mouth. 
if, 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 it, if you couldn't be identified, um, then I don't need your permission. Oh, really? Yeah. So if I have like the corner of your mouth and that microphone, uh -huh. you know. Like that, yes. Yeah, yeah. But if you do, so you are. I, you I, I didn't say anything, but I noticed that road logo like way early so on. So you, you did. No uh, sponsored. Did you, did you, <laughs> yeah, did yeah. you actually uh, do photos with people that you asked them to sign the waiver? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was. That was the least. Uh, that was the least of my work oh, because okay. uh, I'm I'm usually not a very talkative guy, uh, and I'm I'm kind of nervous around people, and I just I don't I don't really like taking pictures of people because people yeah the people when they move you're in their face yeah, yeah you're in their face they they move and I feel like I feel like when I take pictures of people I have to understand their insecurities. Mm -hmm. Because you know, people people don't like their pictures being taken for the most part. Right. Um, that could be just, a, highly uh, emotional intelligent. Yeah, you do. You do. Right. I'm not. So <laughs> so so you did stock photography. You uploaded uploaded to those websites, and that was um, enough to support your life, uh, or at least you. But it was a big chunk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They paid for everything in Sion. Okay. Um, when I when I was doing it in Sion, the the, pho the photography that I did in Germany, um, that was enough. For you know, student costs. I mean, we we paid uh, our rent was like 700 quai for two people mm -hmm. um, in the dorm that we were living in, um, and I was making maybe like 3,000 or 4,000 quai a month. From you mean so if five six hundred US dollar you can make from yeah. the the stock now, even now per month. you're not you're not yeah, uploading my average, anything. My, my average now is probably 350 dollars a month. So you can make 300 dollars a month forever. I, I wonder. I oh mean, when, when, I, when, when I was doing it, I heard that like the rule of thumb is like two years and it stops selling. But it's way past two years. Why now is that? Because there were more competition, more photos, yeah, more, more photos, and, yeah, and, and maybe there is an algorithm where newer photos yeah. go, go up there. Well, the, 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 the thing that I have to ask because I'm a gear geek, as you can yeah. see, um, what do you yeah. shoot? What do you uh, use to shoot actually, with? When, when I when I started, I used um, a Nikon. D5200. Mm -hmm. uh, her name was Natasha, um, <laughs> and I used a Sigma. I used a Sigma art lens. Uh, it was 17 to 80 millimeters, 2.8 to 4 uh, uh -huh. aperture. Um, that was the lens was nicer than the camera, definitely. Yeah. Um, but I loved that camera so much, and I used it for a really long time. But it was a DSLR camera, and I really like traveling, and it just. I hate walking around with a DSLR. I mean, look at your equipment. But yeah. you know, you not walk around with this. I, I, in the, on this subject, I, I also thought about that when you when you mm -hmm. said because, like, if let's say you are not like so much into the oh photography and that, if you like you have a business mind and understand algorithm keywords and everything and understand what people are looking for, today you can use an iPhone 12 and do stock photography, I think, and yeah. do well. Yeah. You can. It's, it's, Actually, you can. You, I, you may have not seen the video on my YouTube. You said you saw the YouTube channel. I did a video where I gave my mom a $100 compact camera, and I modded it just a little bit so that you could like manually adjust the shutter speed and the ISO and stuff. Um, and it was just $100. It's a $100 little compact camera. And I got 12 images that she took on a vacation that we took together. Um, 12 images were accept, accepted by Shutterstock. Huh? Yeah. So, uh, so okay. So that's interesting. They need to accept they have quality. It. They have quality well, well, You mean like uh, just they have their own standards, sharpness, like sharpness and content and all sorts of different stuff. I mean, uh, you have you have to develop a feeling because someone someone at Shutterstock when you upload your images is sitting there being a judge basically. Like, is this a good image? Right. It's okay. It's fair um, enough. Yeah. Uh, how is it to open an account uh, as a stock photographer? Is it easy? It's free. Yeah. You just start. Yeah, and you just upload. I mean, when you first when you first upload images, your first like your first hundred images will probably all get rejected. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because they're even they're, good photos. Their quality their quality requirements are pretty high. 
Oh, no, no, no. My, my, when I first started, my looking at photos that I made when I first started are super, it's not sharp. Uh, my technique was just not very good. Uh, but you learn. You learn how to make better p pictures. I see. Okay. And, so and do, they, do they pay you to a to your bank in America? So if I'm here in China, would it pay me in China or? No, no. It, um, the uh, China has um, China has their own stock agency. It's mm -hmm. called uh, it's called like China Vision or something like that. Mm, okay. Um, I wanted to make an account there, but it would, you know I was in Seattle. It was kind of complicated. Uh, but Shutterstock and uh, the big ones are Shutterstock, Adobe Stock, uh, Getty Images. Uh, Those three. Like But lots of lots of uh, media outlets around the whole world are looking more and more for Chinese stock photos. Why, well, so you, why don't you? You're here. It just you're not so doing time. it now, right? It doesn't pay much money. So I mean, if you consider if you consider how much time I spent on taking pictures in Germany and editing pictures, how many days? I mean, days after days after days of just ten-hour work days editing pictures, just because I loved it. And ultimately, after six years, I made twenty thousand dollars. So you know, it's 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 small. It's small money. I see. So it doesn't worth it. You think? If, if, if you do it this way, it, it's, it's worth it if you really focus on images that are in demand. Like like right now, if you really want to make stock, if you really want to make money in stock photography, go out and take pictures of hospitals, uh, needles. Masks, right. like <laughs> stuff that people are searching every day. But there is probably so much images. competition now already is, with yeah, that. Yeah, you know, yeah. I've, I've I've bought some of these photos yeah. recently. Yeah, but here yeah. on the ground, you probably have an edge because it's China. Yeah. You know, interesting in China. I will tell you, like uh, let's say uh, 15 years ago, 15 years ago, um, for us, we we needed photos for the magazine, and you know, you could go to the computer market here. And they would sell you a DVD uh, or a book. It's a big book with photos inside, small ones, all with you know index numbers and everything. And you get oh, also yeah. tons of CDs, mm. and they're yeah. all there. Yeah. And I used it for a few years <laughs> till I realized, like, yeah, they stole it from some stock. <laughs> they stole it from some. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it must be right. <laughs> But I had it all on CDs at that time. Yeah. Okay, hey. Joe, my designer, we need that photo. Oh, I'm looking this one. Okay, which CD number? <laughs> that was, that's what we did. <laughs> I, I, I didn't actually mention it, but when I when I went back to Germany from China, just because I was curious, I did an internship at a stock agency um, called Panther Media in Munich, mm -hmm. um, and it was just like it was just like a, it may have been two months, a month, or something like that. Um, and in their office, they had one of the first ever stock image portfolios. It was. From, I, I want to say it was from like 1940. Sure. It was like a black and white. It was, and it was like in perfect condition. They kept it in good condition. It was like a black and white catalog of images that people made and then sold for money in this right. magazine. It was. It was. You know, crazy. And a lot of people, regular, you know, people that don't work with these kind of industries, they don't even. They're not even aware about what's stock photography. Think about, yeah. What is that? When you see a, a story, when you when you yeah. see a story on CNN or, or MSNBC or BBC, and, and and they illustrate whatever they're telling you, stocks. This was just, yeah. and they're paying a lot of money for these mm. photos, right? Yeah. yeah. But it's still cheaper than sending your own photographer somewhere. Way but, cheaper. You know, one of the one of the big one of the big changes that's coming to the whole industry uh, that I discovered while I was working at Panther Media are websites that offer high quality imagery for free. 
because technology is so prevalent, anybody can be a good photographer nowadays. Even with your phone, you can be a good photographer, like you just said. Right. So why charge? So there are there, web, there are two main websites um, that stock agencies are freaking out about. One's called Unsplash, and the other one is called Pexels. You know, I use I use Pexels now. Yeah, Pexels I recently and used Unsplash. It. I use it's I Unsplash. used it for um, for stock footage for video mm-hmm. free. Mm-hmm. You can find stuff for free, so you like. Yeah. But what's the what's the catch? What's the, the catch, business model? Actually, there there is no catch. The catch is for them because they don't know how to make money on it. They're they're trying to run these. You know, they have they have at least server costs and business costs, but they don't know how to make money. So they're thinking of ways to sort of cleverly integrate product placement into their imagery, or uh, cleverly put images on other websites where their stock images show up. It's the new age of first get the followers, yeah. Yeah. get a database of this million yeah. people that's going to use your website because mm-hmm. it's free. Yeah, like then, G- okay, like, like getting think, your email. Then think yeah. how to make money out of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's I can understand that, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, people are uploading to those websites, and those people are not making money too. So why no. would you upload to that website? That and, is the yeah. question. More yeah. like the website can the website is the. To, to some part, uh, I use Unsplash all the time, and a little bit. Unsplash definitely does not have the quality of Shutterstock, not even close. No, of course and it's the not. Of not course it's not. And it's, it seems to me like a lot of people, a lot of the imagery that you'll find on Unsplash is stuff that's good, but it was rejected by other stock agencies. Ah, so they okay. just take like their waste photos and they put it up on Unsplash because it might help with publicity, maybe. Can you have uh, the same photo on many different platforms? You can. Yeah. And uh, maybe that same photo is sold in different prices. Yeah, I mean, even even like different different photos get accepted by different agencies because every they're all people judging the photos and they all think in different ways. I mean, you can submit an image one day, it gets rejected, and you submit the exact same image again, and it gets accepted. And somebody different else just look at it someone's and someone's sitting there just like, okay, that's a good image. Right. Interesting. <laughs> well, maybe I should do some uh, stock photos. Mm. But how do you? How do you? I mean, for example, what was your your output? How many photos were you uploading each month or something like that? How many photos do you have right now? My goal. My goal was like two hundred a month. Two hundred a month. Like that. That's about to to, to um, submit. To submit. Yeah. Ten was, a day. I, I mean, that includes keywording and the editing. The editing is the real, the real one because you have to make make sure it's a high quality image and it really clearly expresses an emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, so your editing needs to be really obvious. It's not like it's not like wedding photography where the editing just needs to be good. In stock photography, the expression needs to be really strong. So that's why a lot of my imagery has really strong colors and like really strong uh, solar flares and like it, it's okay. just like really like it hits your eye really hard. And it's sort of just a stock style I developed. What about the um, like if you see a picture that you took like out there like you saw the CNN right mm-hmm. you saw a picture you took out there it's happened a bunch of times that I see my images in public yeah <laughs> yeah that's crazy okay and uh, how do they know that uh, it was paid for you know what I mean I mean it's, I'm it's sure professional stock photographers would get on me for saying this but I just don't really care um, the places that I saw my imagery, I know they paid for it. Right, like, because the, 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 I, I mean, like CNN's not going to use right. an unlicensed image. My right. goodness. Um, then, like, I saw my images a few times in uh, in the subway station in Stuttgart. Uh, the pictures of Stuttgart, and Must I know they're paid paying for, for those. Yes. I know they're paying for those. Right. Um, and but, there's places that maybe didn't pay for. You won't see it because it's too small. You yeah, won't even exactly. come across it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was happy with the money that I was earning. It's I uh, once uh, here in Dongguan about 11 years, 12 years ago, 
Mm. I had to pay, I had to settle with a photographer. Uh, we used uh, someone's photos without their permission. My designer yeah. took their photo and um, the you guy- had an intellectual property battle in China. Yeah, a very serious one because um, I was awesome. my my. Uh, no, I ha I'm having one now too. But yeah. that's a different, uh, that's a, that's a that different was, podcast. That was on a, a picture, and um, no, it's interesting because I was working with China Telecom. I had a contract with China Telecom doing mm. stuff for them, and what we did was at inside the um, Yellow Page book at that time, still Yellow Page books. Yeah. Existed, yeah. <laughs> um, and that was um, about R. Donnelly, and, and uh, someone contacted yeah. them and said, "You used my picture without my permission." Mm. And they contacted me because we made a design, mm. and they said, "China Telecom, don't go to court. You have to fix this. You have to settle." Oh. So I had to negotiate with a photographer that apparently does this a lot. His wife is a lawyer, mm. and they're like a team. And he yeah. puts pictures out there in a very high quality, so it's easy to just yeah. be lured. Yeah. Yes, and I I remember paying him eighteen thousand RMB cash. Yeah, uh, I know I know someone. I will not I will not mention names. I know someone who used a picture unlicensed from Facebook um, of a politician, an American politician. Ten thousand uh, dollars was the fine he paid. From, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, settled. <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know how it works. I so, just know that was so copyright is a serious issue. I mean, you know, when I need photos and I look at Google, I would look at Google, and you can select a tool that will free. say uh, yeah. those ones that are you know uh, yeah. available to use royalty free. Wikipedia, Commons, yeah. Uh, yeah, public yeah. domains, right? Yeah. Stuff like that. But mm -hmm. uh, but you know, stuck stuck. Stock everything now, right? There is stock yeah. everything, not just photos, right? Mm -hmm. So there's videos, there's audio. No, I don't use video, but I use audio. You okay. use stock so audio, yeah. of course, right? Epidemic. You pay Epidemic sound, yeah. That's crazy. Whenever I buy stock audio, I sit there wondering to myself, who does that? Who, who actually records things to sell? And that's Composers, who right? That's who like music, like you like photography. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's harder than photos. Yeah, you need more skill. Well, I mean, I mean, sometimes the the like the different sounds that people sell. You wonder, like, is there seriously like someone sitting around making this sound? No, and these are actually bands, because uh, there's bands that are put together like jingles, and you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, stock. I mean, where where would it go? You can have more stuff. Stock stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, it's basically the principle of outsourcing. If yeah. I, like, if, if I could do anything better. Uh, from from what I did in Germany because I just learned it all myself and it, that's slow. Um, I would have done video, a lot more video. Stock video. Uh, stock video is super expensive. There's not a lot of competition because not a lot of people do it. It will get um, more and more. And it'll get more and more. Yeah. I mean, 4K video is like, that's you it. Can, you can pay, it starts um, at $100. I saw uh, this website I recently used, storyblock, I think, storyblocks, .com, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I use you can pay $50 a month or even less mm. and get unlimited um, videos and mm -hmm. they have good yep. stuff, right? Yep. So, yeah, I think more and more uh, people uh, would do this. very convenient, like for you, it can be very convenient. Well, I, I like to shoot my own stuff, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, you. <laughs> In-house, in-house yeah, Correct, Mundo. <laughs> yes. um, you also have a YouTube channel. Tell us a little bit about that. Was it at the, the same time when you were doing? One? Right. You mean the, the sci-fi one? 
YouTube channel? Yeah, apparently it's two. But oh, okay. uh, the ones we came across is, is the, the, uh, the one with the stock, stock photography. One, yeah, yeah. So you actually did some videos showing people how much money how you've been it. making from stock yeah, photography. Yeah. And, and it's kind of it. interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, But that's not the one you, you're using now. The, the, thing, the thing that I appreciated most about doing that whole thing with the, with the videos was just the support. People were so friendly. Mm -hmm. um, people were just so friendly and they were curious to see how stock works. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Right, I think some people will be interested to see this one. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I mean, it's not about like telling people you should upload this kind of photos, you should, you should, it's this kind of videos you made too? Like, uh, I, I talked about everything. I, I talked about like what, I think I made videos about like what I like to capture. I made videos about how I organize my files, what equipment I use. Right. I, made, I made a video about um, me making a microphone for my camera. Just random stuff. Or like, we're just walking around and doing photography and... Are you, have you made money from the YouTube? I did, yeah, a little bit, yeah. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you got to monetize? Oh, yeah, I made it monetize. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I thought, oh, I well, monetization like, was like easier a couple of years ago. Yeah. When was this? How was it? Yeah, easier? This was like, this was like three Yeah, there was ago. like... You can monetize from zero. Ah, yeah? Yeah. yeah. The 1,000 thing is yeah, quite new. Yeah. It doesn't like, it, it's when, not easy, it's not easy. No, but when they got to it, I, I was... Um, Just a couple of years ago? Yeah, when I started my channel like three or four years ago, that's when they put the 1,000 ah. subscriber. But it makes and, sense, no? Well, uh, yes or no? No, I'm already on Toteo and I'm already making money and I've, I've had three videos there. So, no, it doesn't make sense. I mean... If they um, put advertisement on your thing, it doesn't make sense. Correct. Right. <laughs> but anyway, all right. So, um, so stock photography helped you and still helping you pay some bills. <laughs> yeah, it basically pays for yeah. like all my, my, my main costs now are just the website, business registration, phone registration, um, right. uh, server costs and stuff like that. Right. All right. So um, then you did a few months back in uh, Germany and you came back for that job that was waiting for you. Yep. Uh, how, long was it, how long was that contract and uh, what were the... The, the initial contract was just to, for my thesis. Okay. Um, so I wrote my, I wrote my, my bachelor's thesis with R. Donnelly while I worked. Um, and that was six months. Okay. was six months. Um, they were getting a three-year contract ready uh, before, before I graduated. So, you know, you, you had the... It was technically an internship, mm -hmm. what I was doing, because you have to have an internship visa. It's not a work visa. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, I was uh, basically writing my thesis after six months, then was supposed to switch over to a, a regular employee, but then we had all sorts of crazy issues with a German bachelor's degree, and uh, it, yeah, it got really crazy. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I declined the three-year contract. Okay. Mm -hmm. So where did you move on from there? So at that time, once as my bachelor's thesis was coming to a close, I, I discovered the whole stone paper thing. And then uh, I just decided that. Um, how did you discover it? I mean, a few different reasons I decided, but I'll just go that on my own. How so did you, you discover here, Stone you Paper? You walking here, and then you discovered Stone Paper. Stone Paper. Yeah. How? How did you discover? I saw, I saw it in a post on LinkedIn from one of my colleagues. Uh, it's not. It's not an R. Donnelly specific material or anything. Uh, it was invented in Taiwan 20 years ago. Um, and I just saw it on a LinkedIn post, and it was you know tree-free, water-free paper, and. I studied a lot about paper in Germany. That's a big part of pr pr the printing program. Um, and I just thought to myself, like, this what? is paper without trees and water. That's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I just started looking into it, and um, it really is. And I, uh, and I thought, you know, if I really want to, if I really want to take this seriously, I should 
uh, I should use the German side of me and do an investigation. Mm -hmm. I should investigate every possible detail about stone paper before I declare that this is, has actual potential. So that's when I um, that's when I started doing some research on what stone paper would do in Europe. All right, but before we go into stone paper, let's take a very short break All and right. we'll come back to well learn more about what you learned. We are back. Hunter just got another beer. Uh, <laughs> and you just got. Yes, I'm enjoying German beer for the first time in, I guess, two years. <laughs> Enjoy it. So we were talking about um, coming uh, back to China, yep. working uh, with that big company, right? Yep. And then after a while, Stone Paper on, on LinkedIn. You found Stone Paper, right? Mm -hmm. So let's talk about Stone Paper. Mm -hmm. um, What what what's the first thing when someone hears stone paper? Uh, how do you explain it? Uh, the the first thing, uh, the, the three main points of stone paper that are that it doesn't use trees, it doesn't use water, and it has 70% less carbon emissions. Uh, and it it's a material that's mostly made of stone. The the question the question that most people have when you look at what stone paper is is it's 80% calcium carbonate which comes from limestone or um, waste from it's like powder from yeah. marble mining it's powder, powder. Rock. It's, it's like it's like flour you can imagine like flour okay um, and it's 20% high density polyethylene which is which is a type of plastic which is always the the topic on whether or not this is actually sustainable or not but I am just here to say that it is more like it is more sustainable than paper in a number of ways okay not even a comparison how so first off calcium carbonate calcium carbonate is an inorganic Uh, mineral. It's one of the most common minerals on Earth. It's around 16 million times more abundant than trees. Uh -huh. uh, we don't rely on it for oxygen or water. Um, and it is the main component in stone paper, which is why it's called stone paper. Uh, high-density polyethylene. Uh, every year, there are approximately 430 million tons of high-density polyethylene produced. Uh, in the paper industry, you're looking at around 414 million tons of paper. Mm -hmm. Um, but of that high-density polyethylene, that makes up a half a percent of the world's oil production. All of it. Wow. A half a percent. So when we're talking about polyethylene specifically, there are different types of plastics and they have different characteristics. But when we're talking about polyethylene specifically, we're talking about something far more efficient than paper. We don't need this to be a renewable resource for mm -hmm. it to sustain us for centuries. Uh, that's just the, the important sustainability argument. Um, and there's just... Uh, yeah, I'm happy to hear your questions. So, okay, so, but I would say this, but it has 30% plastic. It does, yeah. So, um, what do you say to that? I guess that uh, your potential clients tell you this a lot. Uh, yeah, so the, most people, most people that are serious about stone paper, they're not, they're not, get, they're not second guessing the sustainability. They're asking how it's going to be recycled, and now we can make sure that customers know the end of life of the product, not in the paper recycling. Uh, because if if you were to throw some paper in the paper recycling, the the plastic could potentially melt and clog up normal paper uh, washing machines and stuff like that. Right. Where it's made. Right. Um, so that's that's the main question: is just how do we make sure that people know how to recycle it? And right now, the main focus are German publishers who make books. Um, and that's the question we're working on, I, I, how we label it. Do you I have a, a question from the standpoint of people who use paper. Um, most paper comes in grams, right? You weigh it in grams, like 90 gram, yep. uh, 80 gram. Uh, is it the same with this, or is I there a different is, yeah, unit? Actually, or uh, Can I hop down and grab the paper? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. 
I brought three different gravages for you. Sure. So, this is um, this is from the thickest to the thinnest. Okay. Uh, the top one, the top one is uh, 120 grams. Wow. So when you're talking about office paper, you're talking about 80, 80 grams. Uh -huh. This is 120, but you can feel that it, it's, it's softer light. than office yeah. paper. It's also more translucent. Okay, have another well, question. Try to, it's hard to... It's hard to tear as well. It's tear resistant. It's also waterproof. Can tear, but it's hard. What about, what about paper cuts? Is it, doesn't, it, it doesn't cause paper cuts either. Oh, interesting. And um, printers, copiers? So uh, if you have an inkjet printer at home, you can't put this right in there right away because it's waterproof. Mm -hmm. And inkjet printers at home are, use water-based inks. Okay. So the ink just kind of sits on the surface. Uh, I have developed a proprietary way to print stone paper with an inkjet printer at home mm -hmm. uh, that I will... Uh, Reveal not, a little later stage. I, I, I don't know if I should go into <laughs> high detail about it, but it can be printed in, a, in an inkjet printer. Um, uh, the main so, step, the first step, is basically you dry it in a microwave. So you take a you take a microwave in the in the water inside of the ink. Uh, the stone paper itself does not have water inside of it, so it's microwave friendly. Uh -huh. um, and the water inside of the ink can be sort of a the water molecules can be pushed around by the microwaves, okay. and they evaporate out of the ink, and you're left with a layer of ink. And there's one more step, but I won't say it. Okay, a very simple, simple question then. What about left-handed people with fountain pens? Yeah, that's a, that, that, that's a, it's an issue. Um, it's just the, the writing, when you, when you write with um, a lot of, uh, any ink that has a lot of water in it, um, it does, it smears. So the porosity of this paper is? It's completely waterproof. The, the oh, surface is Now, okay. one thing it's though, you know, like our magazine, right? The cover is shiny, mm -hmm. we coat it. Right? Or, uh, the, actually, this is a same material, right? They use to coat. It is. A cal so calcium carbonate is a really common filler in paper now. Right. So if you have if you have a nice paper that's really white, definitely it has it they has use, either it has either clay or calcium carbonate or titanium dioxide. Um, those are the main whiteners. Uh, right. Definitely. Definitely. So um, so you can print anything on it in a factory. You can anything. Yeah. And that's that, that's the that's sort of the main point that I focus on now. Um, we're making notebooks for, for people to write on, but I personally, um, I think it's printing performance is the best. Mm -hmm. uh, because one, once you have a printed image and you have a book, you know, you don't need to write in it. Um, and it works really well. For this is quite purposes. thick. So this, like this one is card. 600. This is 600 grams per. You can make per, a business card. Uh, you can make a business card. Well, that, maybe yeah. it's not thick enough, I don't know. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a business card. Yeah. Let me, let me see. Yeah. So this is how many grams? Yeah. This is either 525 or 600. <laughs> but in regular paper, the 500 will be thicker than this. Uh, it, it's not that it'll be thicker. It's, it's stiffer. Yes. Oh yeah, this is five. This is 350. This is ah. 525. Um, paper is stiffer because mm. the fibers are longer. There's no fibers in this. Uh -huh. It's all you know microscopic particles, and they don't they don't hook together like fibers of paper do. So the stiffness is much lower. So what what happens if I try to burn it? Uh, there's no toxic emissions. Uh, that's uh, that's a really big game changer for incineration of disposal. Mm -hmm. um, so this, I, I personally, I don't think it should sit around in a landfill. It's UV degradable, but I think it's a good candidate for incineration because there's no toxic emissions and it just turns into calcium carbonate powder. All right. No other ingredients. What are some of the uses of uh, calcium carbonate powder? Uh, so calcium carbonate is actually really common uh, in our lives now uh, because it's so abundant. 
it's mostly a, an additive to increase the weight and quality of things. Um, so when you're talking about like medicine, mm -hmm. uh, if you're looking at like white medicine, some something you think of as like white or like cosmetics, okay, um, like like powders that ladies use, um, it's soft because of calcium carbonate. Um, uh, concrete uses a lot of calcium carbonate. Um, plastics already. Uh, mm -hmm. Plastics, uh, calcium carbonate is common in the plastic industry when you add 10% or 20%. Um, so that's already being done. But this is 80%, which is the big innovation here. Um, and that's uh, right. paper as well. So How does it handle, sorry, um, pencil writing and maybe um, erasers? Like, because erasers, for example, you go too hard, you start to break the paper, actually. How does... No, that's good. With pencil, I, I like writing on it with pencil or um, the uh, oil, pings, uh, pens with... Um, ball pens? Uh, not, not ball pens. Pens with oil-based inks that evaporate or alcohol-based inks, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever like, a, like a Sharpie, Yeah. for example. Um, I, I like that best for, uh, for some paper. What but, about erasers? Uh, erasers are fine, too. It's fine, too. Mm -hmm. the, um, the, the surface of stone paper... Uh, Another one of the big innovations of stone paper is that it has it has a really high surface energy. Um, so you have to have a you have to have a high surface energy so that when liquids fall onto the surface, they lay flat. Mm. Um, it's, that that's called wettability. Uh, it has a really high wettability. Um, so when you use ballpoint pens, uh, ballpoint pens are also okay. It takes a little longer to dry, uh, but fountain pens are the big like bugaboo. Yeah, because it's a lot of. And if you're left-handed, uh, forget yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so if it's so so good, how come it's not everywhere already? Most people, I'm sure, never, you said never this, even heard yeah. about it. This came in the market like 20 years ago. Did you say? Yeah. So this was invented 20 years ago, and 20 years ago. Um, there are a few reasons why it's not being used everywhere right now. So it was invented 20 years ago. The price 20 years ago was unthinkable. Mm -hmm. um, I want to say even even just a few years ago, this was something like five times the cost of regular paper mm -hmm. because plastic costs more than paper. Um, but it, it was invented 20 years ago. Uh, when you consider paper as a raw material, uh, it would normally take hundreds or thousands of years to grow paper. Mm -hmm. If you consider paper being invented in China and making its way to Europe, how that transition happened was not was not fast. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one thing to consider that this is just a really basic raw material. Uh, another thing to consider is that it was invented by a very deeply Asian company. Um, there's a there's a there's a big cultural disconnect between the marketing that they use and uh, Europe and North America specifically. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty successful in South America, uh, relatively successful, um, and then it's successful in China. I also think that, well, there's there's like the resistance to change uh, an industry. Mm -hmm. There's already an industry uh, around the production of paper from trees. So those yeah. people probably are giving it a trouble, you know what I mean? Oh is, yeah. Is that oh, something yeah. that's there's, there's an organization um, I'll I'll drop a name. I'll drop a name here. It's called Two Sides. Okay. Um, Two Sides is a propaganda organization about the sustainability of paper. Uh-huh. Um, and while there are arguments to be made for the sustainability of paper, there are there are ways that we can optimize the efficiency. Uh, paper ultimately is not sustainable and mm -hmm. there's nothing there, there's nothing that these paper giants can do yeah um, there's no two ways around it yeah I mean, when, we're, when we're talking about Stora Enzo or, or UPM the two other names but I'm not knocking them they're great companies um, but when you when you think about what it costs to open one paper factory mm -hmm. you're talking about maybe a billion dollars in startup costs huh. um, 
so we're it's it's a different ball game where they are. Stone paper now is I mean there's barely even fifty thousand tons in the world. Fifty thousand tons in the world in the whole world. And when we're talking about paper, we're talking about 413 million tons. So stone paper is a little baby. They're not scared yeah. yet, but they, they will be. They will be. Okay. Some, you get sometimes people will tell you, um, you know, this book is printed on stone paper, right? Yeah. Okay. It feels plasticky. I'm not saying it's plastic. Yeah, there's a different, it there's a different touch. And it's, it's like, I, I can just say, you know, like, oh, it doesn't feel the same, like, Yeah. The feeling yeah. I like in a yeah. book. It, it depends. <laughs> no, really? Because it, it feels like... Yeah. It, it, it depends as well. Like this, um, this, the surface finish is not really consistent um, on stone paper. So there are some problems with production. Uh, the production efficiency, for example, of stone paper is 80%. Um, and the, the, the way, the, way the, the, the final step of making stone paper, the way that treatment happens is not consistent over the entire web of the paper, okay. not over the whole roll. So that book might actually feel different from page to page. Um, this, you can clearly tell, there's a different feeling here between that. That's, that's oh, the that's thin paper, so, and this is thick one. So that's an issue? Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue in the manufacturing, yeah. But it's an issue for the clients? Yeah. 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 Uh, another issue well, is, can uh, see. Yeah, I can uh, see. another issue are like the, the thickness tolerances. So there's a thickness tolerance in stone paper of 20%. Mm -hmm. So across one roll of stone paper, if you order one roll of stone paper and you want, it's, it's measured in thickness, um, if you want 100 micron thick stone paper, there might be some places in that roll where it's actually 110 mm -hmm. microns. It's not 100 microns. Um, and, that, and that would never happen with paper. Paper, the technology to make paper is already well established. Uh, the production efficiency to make paper, you know, 99%. It's, yeah. uh, also, it's photodegradable. It's also photodegradable, So yeah. if I leave it on my porch for a year, yep. it will not look the same. No. Uh, so in, in my experience, I took, um, I took this right here, and I put this on my balcony. Uh, in direct sunlight, you know, like we're in South China, you know, we get hard sunlight. Um, I started noticing it get, it started to get a little powdery after about four months. Um, and then, you know, instead of, instead of bending like this, it would crack. Oh, okay. It's really interesting. Um, but it, in terms of, you know, storage, storage for things like books, If you have it inside your house, it's fine. Right, it, right. It's, it's really only when you put it in direct sunlight right. that it starts to... Change. What about, um, I think that some of the biggest paper uh, consumers are newspapers. Uh, can newspapers be printed on this kind of paper? What's that? Newspapers. Yeah. Um, it could, but newspapers are not high quality. That's mm -hmm. not a high quality paper. So it's going to have a large component of recycled paper in it. Um, and it's going to be uh, generally pretty cheap. It's a mm -hmm. cheap kind of paper. Uh, this is going to be, where it is right now, this is going to be significantly more expensive than uh, so it would never reach newspaper usage? It will be cheaper than newspapers, yeah. It will be cheaper point. than the lowest quality paper on the market. Mm. Um, this, the, just to give you an example, uh, one ton of high quality recycled paper, not newspaper, uh, it's called FSC Mix. It has at least 30% recycled content. It's really hard to get high quality recycled paper um, without a lot of additives. Per ton, that costs $1,200. Um, but uh, this, per ton, Uh, the production costs $300. $300. The price of the worst quality cardboard per ton is $400 per ton. 
And the, the paper that you're using for your magazines, it's like $700 per ton. So the goal right now is to grow the supply enough so that this can be competitive with your paper, with your regular paper, mm -hmm. not like heavily recycled paper. So it's not by quantity, it's just the quantity issue. It's just, it's quantity, it's quantity, and it's a very small quantity, which is why I'm saying that we are on the, this, this, this event is on the horizon. Um, right now, right now, my main partner who's manufacturing stone paper, they are at like 40 to 50,000 tons per year. Okay. Um, if we can increase their supply by 50,000 more tons, which means like 20 million books, by 20 million soft cover books, this will be 30% cheaper than the paper that you use now. Wow. Yeah. So, so it's the, the, the margins you, are... Good. Yeah, really, the really good. Are good. Yeah, yeah. So why is it not getting there? I mean, oh, it is just slowly. It, it was. Is. It was. It's so, already yeah, better so now. That's, that, you know, that's. I think that's why I'm here is to just facilitate this development. And I do. I do think that stone paper is so important that it will. Uh, for example, you know, if, if stone paper if stone paper explodes in the world, and China is the only place that makes stone paper, which they are right now, I think that will have crazy political consequences for the whole world. Mm -hmm. Just just China being the main supplier of the whole world's paper, um, it, we definitely we definitely need a lot of people involved to make sure that it's developed, you know, fairly. What <laughs> don't this you could mean. don't you think that that's one of the reasons why it's not being pushed? What? Is that is China the only I, one? I, I think the most reason it's not being pushed is just because people don't know about it right now, um, and then and then when they do know about it, plastic, that twenty percent plastic. That uh -huh. is why why plastic. why they're not producing it in other countries. Uh, well, for, first off, it's kind of expensive. I mean, to get one machine, it's going to be about a million dollars. It's just one. You want to produce That's like normal one for a factory. And yeah, it's it's normal. It's normal for like a printing machine, something like that. Um, but even if you did make it, there's no proven demand. I mean, the, there's 50,000 tons, and there's barely any in Europe. Um, so why why would you start a factory? But like mm -hmm. like a German German. Factory or you know businessmen can, can come can already like talk to some publishers and they are, yeah. and so hey I will one, open a factory you're gonna buy from me. There, there's one there's one company in Germany that designs machines uh, and they're working on stone paper machines but it's just small. Mm -hmm. It's just small. I see. This box that I have right here this mm -hmm. is also it's also stone paper it's a category stone paper. Of stone paper. Okay, and uh, this is basically for what we call here in China Daobao. <laughs> Takeaway. <laughs> yeah, Takeaways, take right? Yeah, yeah. Um, food, any kind of issues with food nope. being in contact totally, with this? Totally non-toxic. Uh, and one of, the, one of the like really, it's like, it's beautiful when you think about it. Um, so this is, this is normally a plastic product in our normal lives. Mm -hmm. It's normally just a plastic product. Um, this, has, this particular version of stone paper has 35% calcium carbonate. But if you consider the sustainability of stone paper and the applications it's good for, we could reduce our impact on the environment in almost every regard, make books out of this stuff, make plastic packaging out of this stuff, reduce our plastic consumption, and throw it all in the same recycling. So we could simplify recycling. We, we wouldn't need to separate anymore between paper and plastic. Mm. You, like, you think, and, and when you consider this, the stone paper is basically inevitable. I mean, it's, it's coming, you know, at least 10 years. You know, if I didn't do anything in 10 years, it'd be here. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you consider what this will mean for how we look at paper and how we do recycling and everything, it'll just... So, so basically, it sounds like uh, this industry, the stone paper, just is, is just building itself towards the tipping point. 
yeah. the tipping right point now, yeah, is the point good. where yeah. it starts to become economica yeah. it starts to become cheap enough yeah. so companies say okay why exactly. not yeah. <laughs> i'm just thinking about another okay i have known nothing about paper but what about toilet paper that uh <laughs> did, you, did you do your research on stone paper no oh okay um no it, it, stone paper does not absorb water so so the way the, the <laughs> way i personally it's a messy situation there <laughs> yeah, no no it's, it's a good it's a good point um so the way the way that i sort of um envision our reduction of deforestation uh ultimately trying to move as far away from fiber-based materials as we can from organic materials that use precious resources um is to move all of the applications and publishing and packaging to stone paper mm -hmm. tissue must continue to be made out of regular paper because and of it, the it fibers is, it is by far the largest application of paper in the world. Mm -hmm. um, books, books and packaging don't even come close. Um, I mean, together, they're not so even... So toilet paper is really the problem in the paper toilet in the world. Is, Yeah, yeah, it's okay. a problem for deforestation. Um, so uh, that will have to be made out of fibers. Okay. Uh, but in terms of, you know, books and packaging, uh, commercial stuff, which are, you know, huge industries, we're talking at least, we're talking around $890 billion dollars in the world will be replaced with stuff bigger. So, uh, okay, so you, your company now, you started, uh, you have your own company, your own yeah. brand, right? Mm -hmm. Pebble? Yep, Pebble. Pebble. Pebble, Pebble Group. Which yep. uh, we'll put the website down here. Yeah. Um, and um, you just focus on stone paper printing, yep. right? Because yep. you are professional in printing, that's what you study. Yep. But um, basically, once it's uh, more common, any printing factory can just buy stone paper. Yeah. And, and how do you... So uh, it kind of depends. Printing on stone paper is not really the same as printing on regular paper. Mm -hmm. But it does. It takes a lot of practice. I mean, uh. even even now we still face issues with the surface coating that I just told you a second ago. Sometimes the surface coating is loose, and you know particles will fall off. Mm. And you can you might see like you might see a white dot in a black square, for example. Um, so so there are these issues. So like I cannot just be like yeah. telling my printing factory. Hey, get no. some stone paper. They'll, Let's they'll waste that. a lot of paper. There is they'll a, waste a lot of paper. Ah, okay. yeah. There is an issue with they'll, that. They'll, they'll test it first, and they'll realize that it's not easy. Uh, because if, I, in my experience, the thing that a lot of printers do is they just say yes. Because the printing industry is a highly competitive industry. So when a customer comes in and says, hey, can you do stone paper? They just say yes. They don't They don't test it, and they don't research it. Um, so this is, this is one advantage that we have over other um, over other printers is just the know-how the run-up to printing stone paper that sort of that learning curve we're already we're already up there uh, the second thing that we're going to start offering with some upcoming products that we're going to be producing is uh, the pebble id so in the copyright page for example of books you can see a pebble id uh, that you can look up on the website and it, and it validates that we created this product okay because we're We are, uh, we are, um, our goal is to become the market leader in the fair development of stone paper. So it's important that we take the industry with us and spread sustainability in a responsible way. Uh, because, you know, uh, other, other Chinese companies could go out there and just really be aggressive with it and do the same thing. Um, and it's probably going to happen. And it's probably going to happen. Stone paper will be a competitive industry in the future as well. Right. So uh, you're trying to put it is, some. It's, it's a challenge. It's a, it's always a question of how I specifically, because you know I'm I'm working with printing partners. I personally don't own printing equipment mm -hmm. and I don't manufacture it. How I bring stone paper under uh, my umbrella. 
mm -hmm. um, to, to sort of lead this transition through Europe and North America. Um, but, you know, like I said, the learning curve, uh, there are potential patents that we're looking at. Um, I also brought a stone paper box. We're the only people that can do that. Uh, hold on one second. Hold on sure. Hold on. <laughs> Two things that only Seven. Yep. Two things that only we can do. This is a box. This is this is a box. Yeah. You it's, get it's not easy on stone paper. Because glue does not work on stone paper. Ah. Oh. Yes. Why? Very crazy solution. Glue doesn't work. It doesn't work the same on stone paper. So how do you fix this one? How do you put it? Not okay. Not allowed <laughs> to say. Yeah, I, actually, I, I would prefer not to say until we <laughs> get it figured out. Okay. So you, yeah. you have a way to do it. Okay. Yeah, so we have a way to do it. And then another another big one. Now this will be really important as stone paper grows in books. Uh, most most there are stone paper books available right now. Um, there's one children's book publisher in Spain mm -hmm. that publishes only on stone paper. But their books, inside of their hard covers, use cardboard, okay. regular cardboard, to make it stiff because it has stiffness. Uh, this book is 100% stone paper. So on the inside, if you look, if you look here on the inside, one second, it's it's glued shut. As you can see, this is right here is stone paper. Oh, okay. So we, we found a way to make stone paper stiff enough to make a hardcover book. So two, two pretty big advantages over other printers. What about, what about getting to publishers or... So the... Right now, the main goal is just to talk to German publishers. Um, I personally believe that stone paper, if stone paper can succeed in Germany and potentially even be supported by the German government in sustainability, um, then it will spread all over Europe and all over the world. Mm -hmm. um, I need, uh, right, right now, in order to shift my business, for example, to go to my partner and switch them to 100% stone paper, we need to use at least 500 tons of stone paper, which is like 500,000 books. So we need to print 500,000 books, which I'll say, I'll say, we need to print 500,000 books to sort of make the first step in stone paper. Um, 500,000 books is like 25 books. It's like mm -hmm. 25 orders. Yeah, 25 um, different. You know, 20,000 copies of 20,000 soft cover books. So that's the first goal. Um, and then, you know, moving forward, like I said, it's 50,000, which is 20 million books. Uh, and that's a big goal, but that, that there's a, I, I'm giving myself four years of time to mm -hmm. reach that goal. So the first goal, hopefully this year is 500 tons. Cool. Wow. Yeah. So um, there are some publishers already using stone paper. There Not are, with yeah. your company. Not my company, no. Right. It's a, uh, yeah, there's a company in Shanghai. Um, yeah, it's spotted. It's spotted. There, are, there are stone paper notebooks that are being printed elsewhere, and uh, children books that are being printed elsewhere. Right. And I, and I spoke with all those people who currently make stone paper products, um, but specifically for the children's book company, uh, the, the printing company that they're printing with, uh, it's a very it's a very competitive Chinese company, and they are not printing for a profit. 
I don't think that this is a very fair way to do print uh, because it kind of destroys the whole industry mm -hmm. because people have to compete with your prices, so everybody has to lose their profit. Um, and that's what they're doing right now with that company in Shanghai. Can I open mm -hmm. this? Yeah, it's for you guys. You can keep it. Oh, thank so you. basically, I mean, all this, uh, you know, people outside the world. This is also with cardboard as well. All the people that are very aware about the environment, you know, regular people, mm -hmm. um, and they know about this, they may go online when they need notebooks and be like, I want to buy stone paper notebooks. Yeah. Right? I hope so. It probably, yeah. It's probably happening, right? Um, this, uh, I don't know when you guys are going to release this, but... This is not on sale yet, but the company that makes this is called Woodless Paper. It's a mm -hmm. German company, uh, and I work with them. What is this? It's not a, uh, it's, a regular it's one, of, it's one of their smaller customers. What's with the dots? Yeah. They sell it. They sell it. Soft cover, hard cover, lined dots, blank. Right. That's what's still. It's very thin, but I mean, I guess that was a this. Specific. Yeah, this this paper is uh, this is 120 grams, okay. um, and the the next notebook that we're going to release is 144. That's basically a notebook. It's basically a notebook. Yeah. Mm. All right. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. I will, I will use this notebook and uh, give yeah, you my. My, my feedback. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Hunter, thank you very much for well coming all the way to Dongguan right. to see <laughs> us and uh, well to share all this knowledge with us and your story and uh, all the information about um, Shutterstock and stock photography and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, well, yeah, also thank you very much for the presents. Yeah. I'll be using hey, this one as well and give yeah. you some feedback. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. Thank you for coming and yeah. it was it's interesting especially to see. Uh, I think a young uh, expert in China uh, making yeah. his uh, waves, trying, you know. Trying uh, to make waves, just starting. Yeah, just I start. wish you good luck <laughs> and you. we will stay in touch. Thank all you. right. Well, guys, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you very much for watching. And as always, if you like this video, give it a thumbs up. And if you like the content of our channel, make sure to hit the subscribe button. And when exactly. you do that, don't forget to hit the bell button to be yeah. notified whenever there is a new video out. Yeah. And well, make sure to follow us on all social media that you see over here. And until we see you again, this was, of, of course, course, China.